was yesterday. Let's stand together. One last Christmas song before we get this new year again. While shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy a couple announcements and I'll get right out of the way this morning. I'm ready to worship the Lord. How about you? So good to see everybody with us this morning. I want to um, make mention of our membership joining that is going to be taking place. If you would like to join our transfer membership from another church of God, of course, uh, you can see um, myself or you can see Miss Sandra Mickler, who is our administrative assistant. She's right here on the keyboard this morning. See one of us. Let us know that you're interested and we'll be sure to get that ready for the first of the year joining also, a special thanks to all who helped make last week a success. How many of you enjoyed last week? Was it good or what? It was great. It was great. We had um, probably 260-ish in attendance uh, last Sunday. It was a really big week. And um, our, we had all kinds of coffee, hot chocolate. Man, wasn't it just, It was good. Everybody did so good. And thanks to everybody for helping with the chairs. The chairs were put up. Right afterwards, I knew it took sacrifice, but man, we sure do appreciate you doing that. It um, helped us a lot this week in preparation for the service, so we appreciate that. Also want to read before we move on with the service, our thanks to you with warmest thanks, grateful hearts, and deep appreciation for your thoughtfulness. Words cannot express the feelings in our hearts. Thank you for being with us during this difficult time. Your thoughts, your prayers, beautiful flower. And words of sympathy are greatly appreciated. That's to Bo Sexton and family this morning. Bo, we're praying for you and the loss of your father, especially during this season. Also, continue prayers for uh, Miss Bonnie Moody. Thank God she's with us today. George Latour, both of them are dealing with some cancer. We're praying that God would bring a healing touch to them both today and give them strength. Pray for everyone. Everybody have a good Christmas. It's a late Merry Christmas. I called yesterday, I think, on the one call now. But Merry Christmas, everybody. And, uh, man, we celebrate Jesus today. We celebrate Jesus. We'll take these trees down this week. Um, if you're like my house, we're probably going to go home, and we'll be stripping 
trees down and every decoration that represents Christmas. But let's not forget Jesus. I think some people, we, we kind of um, compartmentalize things and, and we take Jesus and we pull him out of, the, out of the box for Christmas, so to speak, and we worship him and we celebrate him. And if we're not careful, we'll tuck him away like the tree. But, but I'm encouraging you to give thanks for Jesus come Monday and Tuesday and every day thankful for him don't just don't just make it a a yearly celebration of his birth and what he did for us in coming to this earth make it every week when you remember thank you lord because without you i would be nothing so good to see the kemps with us this morning uh david and sanja and your family behind you let's give them a clap this morning so good to see you guys all the way from the dakotas my dream place i'm going to go one day is to those dakotas and i'm looking forward that beautiful place. Let's all stand in the presence of God. We're going to go to God in prayer. We're going to ask Him to be in this place. Ask His presence to fill us in a way that we've never known before. Today we are going to be dealing with 100 days to glory in the sermon. And I'm excited about that. So go ahead and get your notebook out, your paper. Be ready. Be prepared. And uh, we're going to take some notes today. And I promise you God is going to do something great in 2022. If you believe that, say amen. Father, today we thank you for your presence. We praise you for who you are. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus today. The one that came, bled and died, lived the perfect life so that we could live with you one day. So we thank you for your son, Jesus. The shed blood that was given for the remission and the forgiveness of our sins. And so we praise you for that today, first and foremost. Father, we pray for those in need today, God, that you would touch families, that those that have lost loved ones, those that today are in need of healing in their bodies. We speak healing over their lives. Father, for those today that are struggling struggling emotionally or for those today that are struggling with sin or for those that are struggling today with, with heartbreak, whatever it may be, we are praying today that your spirit would fill our hearts from the pulpit to the very back door today. We, we long for your presence. We long for you to come in this place. Show us your glory. Let us experience you in a new way. And we will glorify you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's give him praise right now as we come in this place today. Lord, we lift you. We magnify your holy name, Lord Jesus. We bless your name. Thank you for your presence even now, oh God. Hallelujah. Let's lift him up together. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful. Where your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, when I'm found in a desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. In every blessing, in every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to prayer. When the darkness closes in, Lord, and still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Oh, and blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be His glorious name. Blessed be Your name, when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be Your name. Blessed be Your name. On the road marked with suffering, because pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glory. 
the broken wind it's spoken and every knee must bow it is the name of jesus powerful eternal king you reign forever and we will sing the glory
salvation in the name. There is life in the name. There is no other name but now in that name there is all power in that name salvation in that name there is life in the name there is no other name but Can you give Jesus a hand clap of praise this morning as we enter into his word? Praise the Lord. Thank you, guys. Let's give this praise team a hand this morning for bringing us into the presence of God. Thank you, guys. Amen. Today, I want to deal with the subject, 100 Days to Glory. We will deal with the fact of 100 days of prayer, of fasting, and of giving. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Is everybody excited about this? If, if you want, cut down just a tad. If you want God to do something special in your life, you need to be a part of this. That's perfect. You need to be a part of this because I'm going to tell you something. There are certain seasons that we can get a hold of God. This is one of those seasons as we partner not only uh, within ourselves, but this is a partnership of many other churches that are going to come together. The sole purpose is not to glorify one kingdom, but the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's all we're about is about Jesus Christ. At the end of the 100 days, the ultimate goal is that everybody in this building and everyone participating is closer to God than they were when they started. That's the end objective. And I promise you that if you go by what I'm going to give you today. That at the end of the 100 days. You are going to come out a better man. A better woman. Closer walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. I was reading in my Bible just the other day. Of a guy by the name of King Solomon. King Solomon in his great wisdom. He taught us something. When you read it it says it this way. It was Ecclesiastes. When he taught us that in all things there is a time. There is a purpose for everything. And he also tells us that there is a season 
And just like in our regular winter, fall, summer, spring, the seasons come, they go. There are seasons in our spiritual life. Some of them I don't like, folks. Some of the seasons I've walked through, I wish to God that we could have changed the weather. Anybody in the house know what I'm talking about? I mean, you just wish you could have changed the situation. You wish you could have taken it and said, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to deal with this. Let's just change the season. But needless to say, just like it's going to be cold outside today and maybe tomorrow. I think it's going to get to 73 today, so it's not going to be too chilly. But as we roll over into January and February, and we're hoping for our inch of snow. It's going to get, amen, hallelujah. Go to the Dakotas, you can get some. Probably more than you'll want. But seasons are going to change. And regardless of what we want to do with that season, we can't change it in our own power. If it's going to be cold outside, guess what? You put on a jacket. What we do is we learn to live with the season that we are in. We learn to face the challenge that we are facing. But Solomon teaches us that in all these things, there's going to come a time, there's going to come a season for everything in your life. And as I was reading that, I thought to myself, there is a time to focus on the past, right? There is a time in our lives that we, the children of God, we have homecoming celebrations. And the purpose of that service is to come together and to celebrate the great things that God has what? Has done. So in other words, we come to celebrate the past. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are seasons that we need to celebrate what God has done. A matter of fact, there's times in my life that I wouldn't have made it through a season I was going through if I didn't look back on the past and celebrate what God had done. David is never going to defeat Goliath standing before him until first he can look back and remember that there was a lion and there was a bear that came after my sheep. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, I ripped them apart with my bare hands. He is celebrating the past in order to move forward. There are times... That we have to celebrate the past. There's a season for that. There's a purpose for that. There's a time for that. We cannot live in our past. But we must celebrate it. There's a time and a season that we must focus on the present. It is the things that we are struggling with right here today. It is the things that we are dealing with in our, with our family right now. It is the issues in our church family right now. There is a season that we focus on the present and we must be there. And because we need God to show up, we need God to show out. But there is also a season that we fail to focus on sometimes. I think more than the other two. And that is that we fail to focus on the future. We are so tied up in what has been that we can't move forward. And if it's not the past that is holding us back from moving forward, what is it? It's the present. It is where we are. It is what we are dealing with. What we are going through. But God is calling us, especially during this season, this hundred days. God is calling us to move into a future. In other words, it is a time not to focus on what God has done. It is not a time to focus on what God is doing. But it is a season that we are going to focus on what God is going to do in our lives. Is there anybody in this house that can celebrate with me that we serve a God that knows where we're going before we ever get there? Is there anybody that can celebrate with me today that before you got up this morning, God had already ordered the steps of a good man and good woman and he knew exactly where this day would bring you? We celebrate as we move. This is exactly what we're talking about today. This is what a hundred days to glory is all about. Focusing on what God is going to do. How many in this building, and be honest, do you need the glory of God to show up in your life? Now when we talk about the glory of God, we are talking about the anointing of God. We are talking about the presence of God. It is in our heart to stray. It is in our heart to be weak. It is in our heart oftentimes to make mistakes. It is in our heart oftentimes to go down a path that God said don't go down. It is in our heart, in our humanity. And we have to rein that in and we have to understand we've got to have God's presence in our life to lead, guide, and direct us from straying. 
What is the glory of God? It is a longing for the closeness of His presence. It is when you wake up in the morning and you feel Jesus right there beside you. It is when you go to the office and you just have a moment of prayer. And regardless of whether it's a secular setting or not, you feel the closeness of His presence right there in your room. There is something about the presence of God, a presence that you've never felt in such a way. A matter of fact, perhaps it's something like you've never quite felt before. Or maybe a presence that, honest, let's be honest, that we haven't felt in some time. Because of our humanity, possibly we have strayed away from His closeness. Because of our humanity, perhaps we just went away from His divinity. Maybe, maybe, and see, I understand something today. It is not God that has moved. I understand that. It is not God that has changed. Is everybody with me today? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I change not. All right? Is anything impossible for God? The prophet answered, of course not. There's nothing too hard for you. He will arise with healing in his wing. There is nothing about my God and his characteristics and his attributes that have changed. He is still God. He is almighty. He is all-powerful. There is nothing beyond His capability that He is not able to do. So if anybody is changing, who is it? It is me. It is you. We've got to get ready to get close to Him again. I want to show you this really quick. The word that I want you to pay attention before I get into my four main points is this. I want you to focus on an important word. It is called preparation. Somebody say preparation. You got it? You taking a note, I want you to write preparation. Because what this represents, and I'm going to give you the definition, you can look it up for yourself. I looked it up in Webster's. It simply means this preparation is getting ready for an event or something to happen. I'm going to say that again. Preparation is getting ready for an event or something to happen. Please hear me today if you hear nothing else. God is all about preparing for his glory. I mean, we casually, in our frail humanity, think that we can just walk into the presence of a holy God, right? When in the Old Testament, they've got labors and they're washing and the priest, as we preached a few weeks back, is getting a rope tied to his ankle just in case he's not living right and he can get pulled out, right? You prepare to get in his presence. You don't just walk up in and go, hey God, what's up? All right? That's not the way God intended it. They've got the labor. They're washing. They're cleansing themselves. They're changing. Preach the garments when they go in and when they come out. To enter into the... There is a word called preparation that I want us to grab today. What about Esther? We talked about this a few weeks back as well. She bathed in oils for one year. One year, folks. In preparation to go before the king for one night. That is profound. Did, did, did y'all grab that? Now we're talking about the king of kings here. We're not talking about an earthly king. Alright. She for an earthly king. Prepared for one year. To have just one moment. With the king. Do you see the importance of preparation? She bathes for one year in order to save her people, the Jews. But if you read the end of the story, you will find that God showed up and made that devil Haman's plan backfire on him. And God saved his people yet again because Esther had prepared for this moment. You read about after the completion of Solomon's temple. I read it just Friday and it about shook me to my core in preparation for the glory. He brought back all the things his father David had dedicated to God. He brought back all the gold, all the furnishings, placed them inside the temple. He then had the elders to bring back the ark of the Lord or the ark of the covenant back to Zion, the city of David where it belonged. 
And then the Levites who could only carry it would carry it into the temple and put it in its rightful place which was in the inner sanctuary of the temple a.k.a. the most holy place. It rests underneath the wings of the cherubim. 120 priests grab their trumpets. Some grab cymbals. Some grab other instruments and they start singing praises to the God of heaven. Then, did you hear me? (laughs) That's the key word. Then, after all these things have happened, then the cloud of the Lord filled the temple so that the priests couldn't even fulfill their priestly duties. Now, I don't have time to read it all or my sermon will be longer than any of you want to hear today. But King Solomon begins praying what we will call an extremely, extremely long prayer. I mean, it's like grandpa that used to push the chair back and be like, Dear God, we thank you for this food. And 15 minutes later, we're eating. I mean, it's those days. Solomon starts praying. And I mean, he prays and he prays and he prays. And you're like, Dear Lord, is he ever going to hush? But he keeps on praying. But you know what he did? He literally prayed the fire down. I would to God we had some saints that could still pray the fire down. I mean, there's nothing like a good prayer warrior that can get the fire down the earth. Heaven's fire down the earth. And so he prays the fire down. The priest still couldn't enter into the temple because the glory of the Lord had filled it. I mean, you talk about revival. That is exactly what is going on in that text. Read it for yourself. Number three, what what about the upper room experience? I thought about them. Jesus is leaving, but he told his disciples, you go to an upper room in what? In preparation of the glory that is about to hit you. I mean, it is going to come like a mighty rushing. You better be ready, son. It's going to hit you so hard, you ain't going to be able to handle it. So you go to the upper room in Jerusalem and prepare for the glory that's about. It's on its way from heaven coming down to earth. Hurry, get there. Do y'all know how long? Now, most of us think it was just a church service. And they're like, all right, we're going to have Sunday morning service. And we're going to have some Pentecost up in here. All right, everybody gets ready. They get here about 11.15, ready to worship God. By the time I'm getting ready to preach, come on, somebody and say amen. And so we come into the presence of God. We have our Pentecost. No, 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 no. There's not much preparation in that. The most we did was spray our cologne. Um, I spray about five sprays. Well, I feel like you should have quit at two, right? All right. You want to smell good. We iron our clothes. We get dressed. Some of us do it on Saturday night. But that's our preparation to come to church. I don't know if there's any spiritual preparation much, but there is a physical you know, preparation that we take in order to come to the house of God. But no, no, no. For the upper room experience, for 10 days, one zero, for 10 days, they go and they prayed and they sought God for this powerful thing, that was this phenomenon that was supposed to happen. And they prayed until all of a sudden, through the windows, there's tongues like as a fire flying. And the fire sets on each one of them and they are all filled with the Holy Ghost and fire and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the others. Somebody said, man, that's all good. Praise the Lord. But let me tell you, it doesn't stop there. This fire, a revival of fire spread and it wouldn't stop burning until it had literally reached from this end of the earth to that end of the earth, from this end to the earth to that from all ends of the earth. They heard about this mighty move of God, this Pentecost. It was all because a group of 120 people decided they were going to prepare. I mean, what if they wouldn't have went? What do you think would have happened? Well, I'm going to guess the fire wouldn't have failed. The tongues wouldn't have came. There'd be no vessels there to receive it. Somebody has to be willing to prepare. So, to say the least, preparation pays off. The return that we receive from preparation is a word that I would like to call power. It is power like nothing we've ever known before. It is Holy Ghost power. It is a power that this world knows nothing of. It is a power that this world cannot understand. But my God, when you feel it, 
It's, I've never been struck by lightning. But I feel like sometimes in the spirit, that must be what it feels like. I've had the fire strike, the lightning of God, and bam, hit me so fast I started crying. Wasn't even supposed to be crying. I've had His presence hit me before so strong, I just had to fall on my knees because I couldn't stay. I had to lay before Him because all of a sudden this power had hit me. Preparation pays off. Watch this. So, here we go. 100 days of glory. I'm going to build it for you really quick. So, of course, the foundation is going to be the, the 100 days to glory experience that we're going to have. But we have to have pillars to support this thing. The four pillars that we're going to use to make this thing stand. Are you ready? Number one, 100 minutes of prayer a week. Everybody got that? For, for 100 days, 100 minutes of prayer a week. I'll just tell you, you should figure roughly 15 minutes a day. Everybody with me? That you're going to spend with God in prayer. Now for most people in this building, you're thinking, huh, that don't sound like much. But the numbers don't lie. The Barna Group did some 2021 research within the church. And they found that what they said, 69% of Christians had prayed within the last week. I'm still trying to figure out why they spend it a week instead of did you pray yesterday? But I can't figure that out because I don't have any more data than that. But for the last week, how many of you have said a prayer? 69%. Pew Research, which I like and prefer, did a similar research on prayer. And they found that 55% of Americans say that they pray every day. 21% say they pray weekly or monthly. And 23%, almost a quarter, say they seldom or never Pray. What is the point? The point is this. If we've ever needed to pray, now is the time, folks. I mean, if we have ever needed to be a people of prayer and a church of prayer, if the church was ever going to show up, now is the time that we need to show up. I mean, just look around you. At everything going on. And it should be obvious to every one of us very quickly. That we need prayer. And can I say to you today. And I know this is an old cliche. And, and you've heard it before. And it's nothing new. And it's not going to make you shout or run the pews. But prayer works. Old cliche. People are like, yeah, I've heard that a hundred times. But history shows us this. A matter of fact, Peter was locked up in prison. There are 16 guards that are surrounding him. But the church, I preached it a few months back. But the church prayed and guess what happened? Doors started opening. Chains started breaking. An angel visiting. Paul and Silas are in a similar situation. But at midnight they started singing praises and Praying. The jailhouse rocks more than Elvis Presley ever could have imagined. Their doors swing open. Their fetters and chains fall off. The keeper of the prison gets saved. He takes Paul to his house. His family gets saved. Paul and Silas have an old-fashioned church of God baptism. And it's all because someone decided to... Daniel been faithful to prayer for years and years. This guy's a prayer warrior. Even in an ungodly Babylon and a new law from the king that says no one can pray to no one except for me. Three times a day, Daniel goes and opens his windows toward Jerusalem and he prays. He gets thrown into the lion's den, but because of prayer, he could yell back to the king and say, Oh, king, live forever, for my God has sent his angel, and he has shut the mouth of the lions. I'm telling somebody today, prayer still works. I mean, I know that history shows us that prayer works, but I need somebody to understand prayer still works. And there's a group of people in here today, right here. I don't have to look to history. I don't have to find some fancy story from John Wesley's diary. 
Come on, somebody. I don't have to go to Smith Wigglesworth and read about that healing they had at that revival that time. I'm telling you, there's a group of people in here today that if you would just let your memory go back down memory lane for just a minute, there's a time and a season for everything. I need you to go back for just a minute. And I need you to remember the prayers that God has answered for you. I need somebody in here to remember when nothing else would work and you got down on your knees in the middle of the night and the next day the answer had already come. Come on, somebody. It is because prayer still works. So 100 minutes of prayer week. Number two, 100 minutes of reading the Bible a week. Not too hard, right? That's how much? About 15 minutes a day that I devote to reading the Word. Now, the numbers don't lie. And most of the time, you know, as preachers, we get ready to preach. And I'm an evangelist at heart. I, I, try, to, I try to change that sometimes, but I just can't get it out of me. And... The evangelist in me says, huh, the Bible. Preach about reading the Bible. Who does that? The evangelist in me says, really? Nobody don't want to hear about that. And I guess they're right because, again, the numbers, they don't lie. Statista.com said it this way, that in one of the recent surveys that they did in 2021, they found that only 11% of Americans read the Bible on a daily basis. Did everybody get that? 11 out of 100 people picked up their Bible every day to read it. Everybody with me? 89 people said, I'm not even going to read it today. Lifeway Research, which I really love their research, did a survey. This, now, now, this isn't among the world. This was among Protestant churches. That, that's us, all right? That, that's Bible-believing churches, all right? Well, it doesn't matter to the denomination. We're still a Protestant church. Among Protestant church goers now. All right. This is the people talking about what I was associated with. These are people that are active in a Protestant church. And ask them to be honest about the survey so they could get the numbers. This is what they found. That 32% of them read their Bible on a daily basis. Church going believers, 32% read their Bible on a daily basis. 27% said, well, I read it a few times a week. 12% said once a week, 11% said a few times a week, 5% said once a month. But there were 12% among reported churchgoers that reported that they never hardly read their Bible. Some of them said they never do. Now, I've read the Bible through. Has anybody else ever done that? You don't have to lift your hand. We're not seeking glory here. But, but yeah, all right, good. I have an app that I use. version is what it's called. It's my favorite I use it. They have, they have devotion plans on there. They have Bible reading plans. I use that all the time. I enjoy oftentimes listening to the Bible because I'm just, that's the way that I learn. It just, I have to hear it. Once I hear it, I, I, I jot notes all the time and I type notes on verses and I highlight them and, and I get sermons out of it. That's the way that I learn. You do whatever works for you, but that's the way I do it. And oftentimes I find that as, I, I mean, you know, somebody asked me one time, a Christian said, why, if I've read the Bible through, why should I keep reading the Bible? Well, the first thing is this. Number one, it's your food source. I mean, why do you keep eating cheeseburgers? That's right, I'm on those toes now. I mean, why y'all like greasy french fries, right? I mean, why? It's because it's our food source. It may not be the food source for our heart, but it sure does feel good to our belly and to our taste buds. And we do it. We, I'm telling you, man, I could eat one every day and praise God. Me and Brian could go to Pizza Inn Buffet and get a double Bavarian cream filled every single day. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You want to go tomorrow? I'm just kidding. Anyhow. Because it's the food source. It's what we eat. So why do I read the Bible? It's because I have to have it to live. Watch this. I want to read Hebrews 4 to you real quick. I've got to hurry. Gosh, I'm running out of time. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit joints and marrow. Watch this. Are y'all ready? It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So can you see the problem with reading the Bible? I can. 
Because it convicts us. That is why 11 people out of, oh, come on somebody, out of 100, said, I, I never even picked up the Bible. I don't know how I got time for that. I ain't got time to be convicted. Now, I want to tell you something. There's some great verses in the Bible, and, and, and we as preachers pick out the ones that want to make us happy and feel good about ourselves. But every now and then, it don't matter how hard we try to avoid it, after a while, we're going to get something that's going to say, man, you've got to straighten up. Because the Bible's full of it. I mean, we pick out, for I know the thoughts I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not evil, hope in the future, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when you read the verses around it, you're like, oh my God, I need to go pray. It's because of the conviction. No wonder so many Christians try to avoid it at all costs. And the devil does not want you in the Word. He is scared to death of it. Remember Jesus in the wilderness. The great temptation. How did Jesus win? He quoted the Word, rebuked Satan, and Satan had to leave. This is the issue. This is the issue Satan has with the Word. The Word keeps us from sinning. Are y'all ready for this? I'm going to prove it. Let's go. Psalm 119.11. He said, your word have I hidden in my heart. That what? That I might not sin against you. If you are ever going to stray from God, it is because you get away from his word. Period. If we keep this closeness in prayer, in reading, in his presence, we don't have room for sin. I'm telling you. And when it does come knocking on our frail hearts, the Spirit of God raises up a standard against it. But to us that have strayed and we just walk away from it, we open ourselves up to failure. Did you catch that? David says that when we read the Word and hide it in our heart, when sin tries to enter, it can't do it. The Word protects us from sin. And that is why consistency in the Word is a must. If we start to stray away from prayer and reading, we are opening ourselves to the devil, to sin and to failures. Number three, 100 days of random acts of kindness. Right, random acts of kindness. I was sitting at Starbucks just this week. I pulled up to the window, I was getting my phone, pushing it in their face like you do for them to scan it. I'm paying for my latte. And the lady says, uh, sorry to take you, sir, or, or glad to take you, sir, but said, the, you're good to go, said the person in front of you, sorry to pay for yours. Wow, thanks, man, pay it forward, I love that, I love that. And so I'm like, who, who did it? Did they leave you a card, did they do anything? No, 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 they just said they, they just want to pay for yours. You know, I preached a tough message a while back, as a matter of fact, and and a couple months back, it was a sermon entitled, Do Unto Others As You Would Have Them Do Unto You. I don't know if you remember that. But what's the big deal with that? The big deal is that the world is watching us. And they are watching us hard. There are those that want us to fail. Do you hear me? There are people in the world that want us to fall so they can use us as an excuse as to why they don't follow Jesus or use us as an excuse as to why they don't go to a church, right? Because of those hypocrites. Now, I grew up in church, and I know church is as good as anyone here today, but I saw so many Christians that would walk the walk and talk the talk in church, but they didn't walk the walk and talk the talk in the world, but they were so holy. I'm telling you, if you've been working with someone for a year, you can use any number you want. And when they realize that you finally say one day that you're a Christian and their response is, you go to church? That isn't a good sign. How do we win the world for Christ? I mean, we can talk about Jesus all we want, right? But until we actually show them Jesus, we will not win them. Are you ready for this? We don't win the world by going to church. We win the world when we are the church. Everywhere we go, Jesus is seen through us. Real quick, Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing. Just throw it out and trample it under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do men... A lot of lamp and put it under a basket or a bushel, but on a lamp stand it gives light to all who are in the house. This is where I want you to grab it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Your random acts of kindness, your good works, and glorify whom? Your Father who is in heaven. 
We have to get out of the mindset that we go to church. And we need to get into the mindset that we are the church. Now I could preach that for another 30 minutes, but I don't have time. So, 100 days of random acts of kindness to show people the love of Jesus Christ. And then they will glorify our Father in heaven. It is not for our glory. It is not look what I've done. It is to glorify what Jesus Christ has done for us, in us, and what He is doing through us. To Him be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Number four, the fourth pillar as I close. 100 days of fasting. When I was a teenager... And yes, I once was, for all you people who think I'm old, you kids in here. I remember growing up in a church that taught us that true fasting is no food, no water, right? If you didn't do that, bless God, you weren't fasting. I remember that I thought, well, i got to do that. So for three days, I went on a three-day fast. I won't ever forget it. I was going to do three days, three nights. I was eating on the fourth day, right? I was going to stay up at 12.01 midnight and eat. I'm on the, that's right, amen. I'm on the third day. I'm about 16 years old, maybe 17. I've been running. We had a youth event that Saturday. I'm running around like a maniac playing volleyball. and I had a good heart. I knew what I was you know, wanting to accomplish, but I was done. I'd been fasting for three days. I'm not supposed to be running around and exerting energy. I haven't even had a swallow of water. And I remember, them, I, I remember almost fainting. And they're like, Jimmy, have you been fasting? And man, back then it was the Holy Grail. You tell somebody you fasting, it don't count. My lips are sealed. You can guess and do a BP check on me if you want. Maybe blood sugar, but I ain't saying nothing. Finally said, Jimmy, if you're fasting, you need to get some water and we need to get you some. They gave me a banana, gave me an orange. I remember feeling so much better after that. I want to let everyone in on a secret today. Fasting is sacrifice. And today in what we're going to do, fasting is going to be more than just food or drink. Fasting is about the sacrifice that comes. Now, now I know traditionally speaking, fasting is abstinence from food or water. As a matter of fact, I looked it up. The word fast means to cover your mouth and not eat. All right? I'm all for that. I understand old school fasting. I'm fine with that. But during this 100 days, and I encourage you, you can do some traditional fasting if you want to. I'm not against that. I'm for that. But if you do it for 100 days, we won't have any congregants to come to church at the end of the 100 days, all right? Elijah, Moses, Jesus fasted, no food, no water for 40 days and 40 nights, but not 100 days, right? So let me ask you this. What's a bigger sacrifice than food for you, right? Some people, don't, some people just don't eat a lot. You know what I'm saying? I mean, some people don't eat a lot. It might be a bigger sacrifice for somebody to give up their favorite video game or their, or their favorite television show rather than food. I mean, really, it may be. Now, this is where the 100 days of glory gets tough. Well, we can read our Bible. Yeah, yeah I can do that. Yeah, I, I, I can start praying again. I've been meaning to do that anyhow. It's going to be a new year, you know, fresh start. I got all that. Random acts of kindness. Yeah, I've been trying to be nicer to people. But this is where the rubber really hits the road. Because when sacrifice kicks in, God starts paying attention. Nineveh is about to be destroyed. They fasted, made their animals fast. God saved them from total obliteration and destruction. All because somebody fasted. Even the king came off of his throne, took off his kingly robes and got down in sackcloth and ashes. When you start going through some sacrifice, heaven pays attention. So, choose something meaningful. You don't sacrifice Pepsi-Cola if you don't drink Pepsi-Cola, right? I think, well, I'm giving up Pepsi-Cola, praise the Lord. And you're like, when's the last one you drank? Like six months ago. Whatever you sacrifice, the purpose is simply this. The lack of its presence in your life should remind you of your purpose and connection to God. In other words, I'm going to make it in layman's terms, remember that Jesus is the reason for your sacrifice. And only Jesus can fill the void that is in your life because of your sacrifice. Isn't that exactly what happens to a person when they come to Jesus Christ? He can be a drunkard, right? He grabs a bottle every single time. Then he fills this deep void within himself. Something missing. He grabs the bottle. And he drinks the liquor. But when he comes to Jesus. 
He finally understands that Jesus was the only thing that could truly fill the void that was inside of him. So what happens in his life is he finds that Jesus means more to him than the alcohol did. That sacrifice. That's exactly how it is with these hundred days. Whatever you sacrifice, you always remember that Jesus is more important than that thing, whatever it may be. I'm going to give you some alternatives really quick. Your favorite drink. All right. And then your your favorite drink, your your, your sweets, for instance. What about your favorite app? And then you take that time to draw closer to God. I mean, what about if you're a Facebook addict and you just need a separation for a while? I mean, what if it's your favorite video game? What if it's your favorite TV show? What, what, What if you abstain from complaining? If you're a chronic complainer and every single day that's all we hear coming out of your mouth, you need to fast from that and let Jesus set you free from it. What about getting up 30 minutes earlier for a time of, more time of personal devotion to be able to do what, what we've talked about today? Giving up sleep is sacrifice, folks. I should have got an amen on that. What about chocolate? Mmm, praise the Lord. For my traditionalists out there, if you really want to go hardcore, you fast a meal every day for 100 days. And that's, that's pretty tough right there. Whatever sacrifice is, just a few suggestions. I'm just throwing that here. But you know what your truly sacrificial thing would be for, between you and God. So you let God speak your heart. You let God lead you, direct you, guide you. As mentioned in the beginning, definition of preparation. Come on to the piano, Sandra. I'm closing. Getting ready for an event or something to happen in your life. I assure you that by the end of these 100 days, God's glory is going to show up in your life. God's glory is going to show up in our homes. Praise God. I'm telling you, the power of God, the glory of God is going to show up in this church. What's the date? It's January the 1st through April the 10th. That's 100 days. January the 1st. For those who are taking notes, January the 1st through April the 10th. I'll be announcing this as we go along. Some of you are going to be so glad when April 11th rolls around, aren't you? At least on your sacrificial thing. Hopefully the prayer and uh, reading and just being good to others. Hopefully that just comes, starts, just stays intact. And you just grow from there is what the goal is. We don't want you to quit at April 11. But the sacrifice, of course, the fast will be over. And you'll be able to take whatever. I was, I was at New York Church of God, Pastor Rick. I won't ever forget. I think it, we were having a time of fasting for our church. For God to move. If I'm not mistaken, I think we had a, a three-month calendar. I feel like it was a 90-day fast from something sacrificial. That's just what my mind's telling me. And I may be wrong, but I think that's what it was. But I remember one guy vividly. I could still see him where he sat and everything. And I remember he came to me after I did that sermon. I preached something along these lines of sacrifice. And I remember he came to me and he said that he had been eating too many sweets. Got a little overweight. He said his blood sugar was out of whack and he may even be borderline questionable for for getting diabetes. For 90 days, that guy fasted from his sweets. He said, man, it's going to tear me up. His wife said, I don't know. He knew it. He loves his sweets. 90 days. He walked away from them. Do you know at the end of that, he came to me. He said, preacher, he said, I want you to know something. He said, I feel so much better that I've decided I'm not eating them anymore. After 90 days, he literally, he kept it. He said, I'm quitting it. I'm quitting it. My body feels so much better. I don't feel as lethargic. I feel healthier, better. What happens? The glory of God shows up. When His glory shows up, it's worth it. For when His glory shows up, addictions are broken. Marriages that are on the rocks are restored. Prodigal children that have strayed from what you have taught them for years and years are brought back home. Dying churches that have grown lethargic and cold and indifferent and about ready to be spewed out of God's mouth all of a sudden are brought back to life. Great things happen when God's people prepare for His glory. He's never let us down when preparation went into place. And I assure you, He won't do it now. Let's all stand in the house of God. Father, today I want to thank you for your word.
I went a little over today, but that's fine. We had to get this word into our hearts today. Father, I'm asking you that you would touch us, change us. I'm praying from this pulpit all the way back to that door. Speak to our hearts. What We have a few days to prepare for this. So, Father, whatever it is that you want us to sacrifice for you, speak to our hearts. Direct us. Whatever it takes to have your glory. Whatever it takes to experience a closeness with you like we've never known before, that's what we want to do. Forgive us for our frailties. Forgive us for our humanity. Forgive us for our straying away from things that we know we should do. They're the basics. Sometimes we're so weak. Our spirit is willing. But our flesh, God, our flesh, it's so weak. Father, do something special in us. From January 1st to April 10th, God, I'm praying that the glory of God would show up in a way like we've never known before. Show us your mighty power in your son Jesus. And we will praise you and glorify you in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout amen. God's good, isn't he? Praise the Lord. Shake hands and be friends.